right, gang, welcome to the best Tuesday you've had all week on this, the best afternoon we've had all day. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn. Joining me in studio today, though, not Matt Dixon. I've got my main man. Justin Bruggeman. Justin, thanks for joining me today. Of course. This is where we say, um, feel free to case Matt's house where you can meet his house sitter and dog. Right. Because he is <laughs> out of area right now. I think I want to tease about the fact that he's in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Right? Because financial guys in Vegas, really? Yeah. It's for a wedding. It's where the best you know. odds are. Right. Yeah. Who we've the best odds. Should we just talk about fantasy football? Right. No, Golly. we shouldn't. <laughs> if we did that without Matt, he would come He'd back in tears. All right. So one of these times, what we have to do is we got to get uh, both of you in studio, and you guys could try to explain to me how this works out. Because yeah. the one thing that they will tell me is, well, look, if you place these bets in a certain way, you can at least make them interesting. It's like a two dollar yes. bet turns into a hundred dollars. Right. You know? Okay. Well. What are your odds of winning? Like, oh, they're terrible. But the payout's like 50 to 1. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> so it's like penny stocks. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, we have been discussing what shall we discuss today. And the here's, I think, where this show needs to go right now, especially in the backdrop of what's going on in the market, which let's talk a little bit about. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the market, too. Okay. But part of it is, so I want to ask the question. Where do investment returns come from? Where do they come yep. from? What What is driving investment returns? Okay, now there's this really simple answer of like, well, you pick the stocks that go up. All right. Okay. All right. Good show. I guess you guys can check out from here and go have a great afternoon. Or we could talk a little bit about, no, no, what are the contributing factors that lead to investment performance? Okay, so I want to unpack that a little bit today because we've uns- we've discovered some things that are kind of interesting that our research is leading toward, and then I want to talk about some of the things that are less tangible. Mm-hmm. But let's let's first talk about what the heck's going on with the stock market right now. It's not at its all-time highs. No. Right. It's also not at multi-year lows. No. Okay. But interest rates now. What do we have? Didn't we hit ten-year Treasury hit uh, north of five percent on Monday? I mean, it was temporary. It didn't stay there, right? Mm -hmm. We kind of came opened Monday pretty rough. So that's yesterday. We had a rough opening to the markets, Mm -hmm. and then they stabilized and managed to, I think, drift higher toward the end of the day. But it was on Treasuries coming out of the gate pretty. When I say pretty soft, what what do I mean by that? Well, if nobody's buying Treasuries, then the demand is soft, which mm-hmm. means the price of the treasuries goes down, and that drives yields higher. Mm-hmm. Until what? Demand goes up. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, Justin and I are like, well, duh, right? Except that if you're wondering, like, how does that make any sense? Well, look, if you get paid enough interest to like, I mean, if I came along and said, hey, can I have a, can I borrow money from you for, like, hey, Justin, can I borrow money from you for a year? I'll pay you four percent interest. No. Right. Well, what if I pay you 10% interest? Maybe. Maybe. What if I pay you 50% interest? Yes. Yeah, he's like, wait a minute. I know <laughs> yes. your credit. That's probably a pretty good bet for me. You see how that happened? And it was. It almost seems like a joke, but if I'm a good risk and Justin feels pretty confident he's going to get paid back and I mm-hmm. offer him 50%, then I bought the loan. Like, right. I bought it, right? You were willing to take that risk and I was willing to pay for it in the form mm-hmm. of yield. You know, we failed to mention, well, how much money. Right. Right? 
because at some point, if I say, hey, can I borrow a hundred million dollars from you? That sounds really good, but in the off chance I don't pay it back, it's still a really big risk. Right. So we have to weigh all of those in the decision. And I think as investors, uh, we, we should kind of understand that this is the backdrop that is really wagging the market right now. It's the cost of capital. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is not always the case, by the way, but it sure is right now and probably has been a, an underlying theme for what, what would you say that, that, that really federal fed like monetary policy has been driving this market? I, well, I would say at least since COVID. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, probably a little bit before that, I would assume. But. Yeah, I mean, I think we could go a ways back. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the last fourteen or so years since we since we saw the collapse in two thousand eight. Right. So this has been like a fourteen, fifteen year span here, where rates collapsed because we needed really low rates to stimulate the economy after a big train wreck. Yeah. And, and a lot of folks forget that that train wreck it started in. 2000 right stocks fell because of the dot-com right. equation where everybody was sort of over leveraged people had, had really it kind of conjured money for the dot-coms and then that failed so they transferred the risk away from the stock market toward the real estate markets a lot and we saw that in banking behavior right where it was uh, well <laughs> justin's like well, i guess I didn't, I didn't really see it <laughs> yeah the history books read about us yeah, it reminds us that banks were issuing loans without strict documentation. They weren't verifying incomes. They weren't really vetting the borrower because the assumption was the collateral was so strong. Right. And we also know with the benefit of hindsight that there was some pretty clumsy policy requirements or uh, and, and it came down to just giving borrowers that we probably should have never given loans right. loans. Right. So there was some social engineering. I realize it's super dangerous to say this, but I'll just say, right, there were some um, like political forces driving loan eligibility. Mm -hmm. Okay, And that contributed to more loans that ultimately, when the economy failed, led to a more disastrous problem in the mortgage system and a big deleveraging as collateral collapse and we had a bunch of banks fail. Mm-hmm. And then the government stepped in post-2008 and started with what was originally the TARP program. You guys remember the Troubled Asset Relief Program? That's what that was because I know every time I need to keep firewood dry, I got a Troubled Asset <laughs> Relief Program for it. But uh, yeah, that, that's, that's where that came from. And then we started to see quantitative easing. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, I mean, this is over 10 years ago, writing blogs about it saying, oh, we have can kick 2.0. Wait, can kick 3.0? You're kidding. Can kick 10.0? And that was just politicians and policymakers building up more and more debt. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember back when the TARP program came out, it was like a billion dollar bailout. And everybody just thought, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? Yeah. And today, yeah. <laughs> billion dollar bailouts are peanuts. Right. Right. You know, we're talking trillions. I mean, we're sending billions and billions all over the place mm-hmm. to who knows where, and we don't even know what we're buying. Yeah. So uh, it's created for an interesting backdrop, and it's created some challenges for our investment committee to try to understand what's driving mm-hmm. this market. So I thought it would be interesting to unpack some of the things we've learned. 
right? And so that's what I think this show needs to be about is what are some of the things that we've learned or what are some of the things that we're trying to research? Right. Right? So first one, uh, I think we, we kind of shared it on the air. Matt and I talked about this, but I got to give you credit, Justin, because I think it was you in our investment committee that, that really started down this rabbit trail of removing the mega cap stocks from the equation of the S&P 500 right. for the last few years. So how did you find that? Um, I don't It was just a conversation that we were having about the market and the indexes and the weighting of them. And so it kind of just sparked as, well, what if we eliminate the big mega companies? What does that do to S&P 500 performance? And I guess it wasn't, it wasn't what I expected, I guess. Okay, so here, here's the fun question I want to follow on to. What did you expect? Um, I Well, I expected big companies to drive a lot of it. I did, didn't think it was to that big of an amount because I think even whatever 2021 was a great year. You eliminate six companies, and the market was actually negative. Was it that few? Six companies, really? Yeah. Oh, my Maybe gosh. eight. Yeah. All right. But I mean, it, we it, it's it was fascinating how much the entire index was carried by a handful right. of mega cap stocks. Um, let me give the listeners just a little bit more context for you. Um, we were every now and then we'll own a position in our customer accounts, right? So we have different investment strategies that we're running, and let's just use it's sort of a. a I guess it's a somewhat real life example, but I need to. I just need to couch this. This has already happened. Okay, mm-hmm. and so I don't want you to construe this as, as investment advice when I talk about it. But we have uh, uh, one of our investment strategies is a dividend stock portfolio. Okay, so we're buying dividend bearing stocks as part of this, right. and we had some utility positions, and uh, they have really been sort of beat up recently. They were mm-hmm. paying a dividend, but the stock price had declined, and we saw some losses in those positions, but we didn't really want to abandon them. So okay. the decision was made, why don't we sell those to capture the tax loss, mm-hmm. but we didn't want to be out of the market for the 31 days it takes to avoid a wash sale. Right. See me after class if you don't know what that means. But we could buy a similar but but not the same asset in its place as a sort of placeholder so we could still mostly participate in the market. Right. Um, here's a fake example right it'd be like you know selling home depot and buying Lowe's. i use that a lot by the way because you know they're right next door to each other most of the time right and you go oh well i got rid of one but i still own something pretty darn similar so if the market takes off i still kind of have a clone of what i had right well we sold some utility positions and we bought an exchange traded fund placeholder that buys utilities we started looking inside of these exchange traded funds several months ago because we discovered that a handful of stocks represented really big components in these indexes, right? You're supposed to mimic their underlying index, but those cap-weighted indexes, we discovered like, you know, a a communications fund was like three stocks were 50% of the way. Like energy is... Yeah, energy is two. 50%. Right, 50% is two stocks. And we, we thought, well, that's really something. So we started by looking at other funds, and we they there are some other exchange traded funds that buy indexes where they equal weight everything rather Mm -hmm. than putting all the weight in the biggest stocks right and they didn't perform as well over the last few years Mm -hmm. 
And so that that sort of led to us thinking, well, wait a second, why is there such a divergence in performance? Right. And it was obvious that, well, some of the stocks are really huge weightings and others aren't. Mm -hmm. But it, then it led to this questioning, well, what is driving the returns? Right. So that's the question. It's, so it's more than just market cap. We're, we're learning a lot of stuff and we're thinking through this in different ways. And I know we're not unique in the investment world. Other people have thought about this because they have built different types of investments on these premises. Right. But what I think is really interesting is how what drives return also changes, right? So what drove returns a year ago may not be what drives it right. now. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But speaking of returns on investment, we got to take our first break and get a return for this station. So we'll be right back. Uh, stick around. I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Justin Bruggeman. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn, in studio today with me, Justin Bruggeman. And if you're just joining us today, we're talking about where are investment returns coming from. Okay, like like what are what's move what moves investment returns? And I got to tell you, first of all, if you want to get caught up, you got to go to the podcast, right? If you're just joining us, grab the podcast and you can listen to the whole show next time. Uh, and you can also follow us now. So we're gonna uh, we're putting these things on Facebook and we're getting the different uh, because we were, we're we're actually filming as we do this, right? So we'll get that pushed out. But uh, the podcast is available for streaming at all of your favorite podcast places. So. Okay, when when we left our heroes, which seems arrogant to say that, but when you left us, um, Justin, you can be a hero. I don't think I should <laughs> claim that. He's kind of my hero. Justin bails me yeah. out a lot. But um, we talked a little bit about like how we went down this. And really, you were the one that um, started looking into this and found that really interesting statistic about the S&P 500, mm -hmm. right? You, you, you carve out just the top handful of stocks and a returns crater over the last year or two. Right. So we start digging into this and it's, so what does that mean? Okay. Like, what does it mean if the, the biggest stocks of the S&P 500 basically carried all the water in terms of returns? Well, because they were the largest weightings because the S&P 500 is cap base so the larger the company the larger the weighting in the S&P 500 and so these you know or half a dozen to a dozen companies um, consist of about like 35% of the S&P 500 so if they're doing well it looks like the economy is even doing well when actually even the underlying companies maybe are not mm -hmm. what's fascinating to me about this and so I'm going to make some projection here. This is not predictions, but let's just talk through some of the things that are on my radar and that we're researching right now in our investment committee. So the cost of capital is changing, right? We talked about interest rates are much higher, right? Mm -hmm. now, and we're seeing that in everything. We're seeing it. Uh, and what we're starting to see it show up in is in a change in the amount of free cash flow available within on, on company balance sheets, right? right. The, the inflation is chipping away at that. And when you say cost of capital, it's if you have to borrow money to operate, mm -hmm. right? And, and this isn't terribly uncommon. Like a lot of companies, they have a cycle where they have to build something and sell it to get money back. If you're right. gonna build a car, you have to build it first, then sell it and get paid. So you may borrow money 
to finance the build of that vehicle in order to get it sold and get repaid. So that happens on a line of credit basis typically. And if interest rates go up, that it's means more expensive. it's more expensive to borrow the money for your operation. Mm -hmm. So your free cash flow or the margin in your business starts to, we call it margin compression, mm -hmm. right? Where like there's just less margin available because the cost of doing business, the cost of capital has gone up. Now let's think about this for a second, okay? And again, not offering advice, just encouraging everybody to think. If you are a growth company right now, so mm -hmm. let's talk about like, we'll just use Google as an example. Okay, because that gives you a sense of like, okay, here's a big tech company, pays its people a lot of money, mm -hmm. it makes a lot of money, it's just sort of a, an advertising linchpin in the economy, and it's a bellwether for the economy in that respect. But it's also unique because it's it's got a, a lot of different things. It's got tech, it's got services, it's got servers, it's really wired into the economy big. Mm -hmm. Okay. So again, and again, I'm not telling you buy Google or not buy Google. That's not what we're doing here, just right. an example. But let's think about how Google currently doesn't pay a dividend to investors. At least no. I don't think it does. No, it does not. Right? And so what is it doing? It's taking its profits and it's reinvesting into growing more Google. Mm -hmm. Right? It's taking those profits and it's internally eating them for growth. Now, in business, this is kind of interesting because when, when a company consumes its profits on what we, they often call it capex right capital expenditures mm -hmm. uh, or operational expenses then that ceases to be a profit and now it becomes a new part of the business so if you buy up another company which we see google do that sort of thing right or you put a bunch of money into research and development to create new things then those profits are not being paid out to investors or shareholders, but rather being paid back into the organization for growth. Right. So one has to look at the rate of growth now and consider that in comparison as an investor, like, hey, I could invest in Google, and how fast are they growing compared to other investments that I mm. can get with lesser risk? And so growth companies have to achieve higher growth rates in an environment where there's more economic headwinds because the cost of capital is higher. Right. So they're by, by, you know, sort of default and circumstance, they look less attractive when capital costs are higher if they can't sustain their growth rates. Right. Which, when you're a super giant mega corporation like Google, how do you double yeah. in size when you're already super mega giant? It becomes pretty staggering to think, well, how can a company that's got a trillion-dollar valuation become a $2 trillion right. company? Inflation will do some of it. Mm -hmm. But how do you make the company twice as valuable when it's already that big? The first trillion's the hardest. Okay. <laughs> that's probably true. Because <laughs> if you can't get there, how do you ever get to the right. second trillion? <laughs> well, again, we, we see this expansion of money, right? But I... I do think it calls into question, like, where else could you put your money? Right. And if you had those headwinds, is it as attractive? Right. Now, here's the real tricky question, Justin. Of those stocks that make up the majority of the return of the S&P 500, how many of them are paying a dividend? I would probably less than half. 
Yeah. And those that are paying a dividend, what does that dividend look like compared to a treasury? Yeah, it's very small. Yeah. So all of this to suggest that, and, and, and it's even scarier if they're paying a small dividend, right? Mm-hmm. Be- and wh- why? Well, I guess. Are they flirting with their growth versus value? And so There's some of that, and when you one of the valuation methods, just like a treasury, is you compare treasury yields. So if you have a, a treasury that you've owned for a while and the new yields get published for new treasuries, mm-hmm. what you own gets compared to what now exists. Right. And if rates have, you know, if yields have changed, your principal value may change. You know, if you have a treasury paying you 2% and new treasuries pay 5 that 2% treasury is less attractive to the market. Right. Like who wants to buy it from you when they're getting paid less than buying a new one? Right. So they're likely to offer you less than what you paid for what for that treasury. So in in which case you have downside risk that your principal in your, is is worth less today and you'd have to hold it to maturity or accept less if you wanted to sell it. Now think about dividend stocks. A dividend that's below 10-year treasury suggests that that stock, unless it has a really high growth rate, may be overpriced relative to a risk-free rate of return. Right. And how does the market address a price that's too high? It lowers it. Right. People become unwilling to pay that price, and it starts to drop. So if we use a dividend discount model to value a dividend-paying stock, that could be a headwind. <clears throat> and consider that you know five or six stocks drove the returns, and they represent almost a you know what a dozen stocks represent about a third of the S and P right. five hundred. What if the dozen stocks catch a cold? Right, then the whole index yeah. could catch a cold yep. with them. So, uh, this is not to say that stocks will catch a cold. No, but the backdrop is interesting because rates keep going up, and what we keep seeing is discretionary cash flow appears to be drying up in these companies. But what's the wild card? Jobs still seem stubbornly high. Unemployment has stayed stubbornly high. Uh, Inflation has slowed some, but has a ways to go. Yeah. So, I mean, what the forces suggest is probably the scariest of all of the cocktails right now is you know, are we in a sort of stubborn inflation environment where we can't knock inflation down? The economy limps along without completely shrinking, but what it really does is it squeezes just really hard on the middle class and squeezes more people out of the middle, right. and they kind of squirt either direction. So if you grab a toothpaste tube and squeeze in the middle, right, the toothpaste right. goes both directions, but what's left in the middle is a lot less. Right. <laughs> and so, you, well, are you, are you going up the ladder or down? Yeah. And it's like, depends on where you are, right? So anyway, there's my, yeah, the, the toothpaste tube theory of high interest rates. We should, yeah, is that one going to get published? Yeah, we should publish I, that I, one. That's pretty good. It, that or it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. I, 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 but it makes sense. Right, except for the part where I didn't think of it in advance. It just came out and I went, wait a second, <laughs> did you just say that out loud? Yeah, I did. Anybody that's ever been a customer of mine knows that occasionally I will just pull a really weird analogy out, and it kind of makes sense, but at the same time, you're like, where does your mind go to come up right. with that? And I don't know the answer to that. It just That's where it goes. All right. So, Justin, where's the market going to go? 
when? How long? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. Got the question right. Yeah. When's it going to go there, right? It's, it's definitely going to go somewhere. It's going somewhere. Uh, so let's, when we come back, we're going to grab our next break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, like, what do we think may drive returns going forward? Doesn't mean we know, but let's talk about what's going to drive returns. We kind of see what's getting us here. What's the what? What should we try to be looking at next? That when we come back. Stick around. I'm Dave Littlejohn and Justin Bruggeman, and you got True Well on News Radio 93.9 FM and 12:40 KQEN. All right, welcome back to the True Well Show. Uh, Dave Littlejohn in studio with Justin Bruggeman. And yes, I sorry, I was just uh, we're in the middle of this conversation, and it's like, oh, we're back on uh, about do we go back and listen to the podcasts or whatever and see if our predictions. Uh, we're right. And I said, well, we have to wait long enough and then they'll become right. Right. That's because how's it go? If you're going to predict something, you can you can name a, a price or a time, but never both. Right. So there, there's your trick right there. Uh, and then every now and then I name a price and a time because I'm just so bold and ridiculous and I shouldn't. And that's the ones I should go back and check. But then I got to remember where they are, too. We, we say a lot on the radio. Hey, where do you think this... Uh, Going forward, like looking forward, not just through the, the rest of the year, but looking into next year. Because, you know, here we are. We're in Q4. It's mm-hmm. like, can you believe it? We're in Q4 already. But um, looking out, we're, we're staring at barely two months left this year. Because mm-hmm. we know that basically, you know, post-Christmas through New Year's, trading levels get pretty low. Right. Or after the Santa Claus rally, if we get one, we're kind of there. So we got this this home stretch for this year. And then we got to look at next year, which is an election year. And oh, the rhetoric's already ramping up, and it's pretty, <laughs> it, it, it's pretty divisive. Let's just leave yeah. it at that. What do we do? Like, what what do you see on the horizon for markets, Justin? Well, I mean, I mean, this week's probably going to be a little bit interesting with it kind of being earnings season for these big companies that are driving a lot of this. Um, but I, I think it's still going to depend on, you know, what the Fed's doing with interest rates, you know, throughout the rest of the year. It kind of seems like it's plateauing a little bit. Right. But. Are, are, are you in the camp that it's plateauing and going to kind of flatten or do you think it gets. I should just ask, what do you think happens with rates over the next year? Uh, probably flatten. I don't think that they're going to. I think they may even, even go up a little bit more from here and then kind of trickle back down and then um, hopefully start kind of rolling back lower a little bit so make yeah. some things affordable more affordable yeah. i have my foil hat theory on this and then i have just what i think needs to happen theory they're not the same theory <laughs> right i mean i think what what you just described sounds about right that we probably need to raise rates a little higher for economic control mm-hmm. just to to continue to tame inflation probably sticks around longer than we want it to but if i put my foil hat on i see that you know the very institutions that need to lend to stay solvent and that are sort of the backbone of this whole thing with interest rates have a whole lot of commercial real estate that's coming up for refinance over the next few years and commercial real estate post covid has just been decimated in Mm -hmm. terms of occupancy ratings and especially urban commercial real estate has just been wiped out Uh, we're seeing huge uh, vacancy rates we're seeing uh, you know, a lot of people abandoning leases. And so there's there's some real cash flow issues. And so that collateral is in danger for the banking system. So Foil Hat Guy says, do we have to see rates come back down in order to keep banks from looking to 
uh, weak on the balance sheet side of things. Right, some of these regional banks that are still pretty big regional banks right. that you don't necessarily want to see their their internal stability ratios impacted by uh, collateral implosion. So lower rates would stabilize that collateral. Mm -hmm. All right, foil hat off. Moving on. So if 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 rates you think stay higher for longer, but you know you don't see them doubling from here. No. No. Okay, that's cool. Then staring at the rest of this quarter and into next year, uh, I'm not asking you to call the market or anything like that. We know mm -hmm. we can't do that. But what are some of the things that if you had to look out right now, you, you think Bear looking deeper at in terms of areas to research and um, what might be knocking around in your head in terms of your investment thoughts? Well, a little bit of it as well. I kind of I expect the year to finish okay, strong from here at mm -hmm. least, um, and then going into the election year, it's a little bit of a wild card. I feel like typically they're pretty decent years, mm -hmm. um, just because I feel like they fill you with a lot of information that you think is going to happen to get where they want to be, and then stuff comes back to reality. Right. So, I mean, it's, I really don't know. I mean, I think we're, it, during this earnings season is going to tell us a lot how the year finishes out. And then, um, you know, we'll kind of see trucking into 2024. Yeah. I'm trying to look here for like, what is the month to date returns just for this year or yeah, so just for October. And so let me see here. Kind of a head fake. Yeah, I mean, it's actually down slightly, it looks like, for the month. And the reason I'm curious about it is, you know, September is awful a lot of the time, just mm -hmm. bad. But um, we're close to flat. You know, we're at 42.17. The month started around 42.90. Let's see, it opened at about 42.93. So, you know, we're 70 points different. That is you know 30 points was 0.7 so we're, we're maybe three percent off mm -hmm. of the october start uh so and it's been higher you know we, we've kind of gone up and down and up and down but there's a lot of folks that think around the 4200 mark is a good support level for the mm -hmm. s p and this 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 would be an interesting point at which if if uh, earnings come in decent that we could see the beginnings of that swoon towards uh santa rally yeah i i would be okay seeing that Yes, I would too. Like, I'm totally okay with that. Um, so I'll just ask because I can. What are your feelings on this? The, you know, the, those top six or seven stocks carrying the team from here through the rest of the year. I don't know if they. I don't know if they'll lead from here to the end of the year. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't surprise me. Some of these beat up companies. Um, you know, utilities, energy, or not energy, sorry, utilities, consumer staples, some money starting pushing back out of tech into that. Um, so a little bit of rotation. Yeah. That's that's a fun term, by the way, for our investors. If you hear us using the word rotation, uh, it's the idea that money is moving from one area of the market to another. Um, I, I just want to, I'm going to pivot for a second. We didn't prep for this, but I'm going to see how good Justin is on his toes. Uh -oh. We've talked about... Uh, how markets don't necessarily correct in an orderly fashion like folks are looking for before. But um, 
what what do you think about this idea that sometimes rotation we actually get a rolling bear market within a market that sort of gets hit that bear market gets hidden because it's just rolling from sector to sector as opposed to hitting multiple sectors at the same time right well i think like when that kind of happens you see a lot of sideways movement in the market you mm-hmm. get a lot of just moving within the market and not necessarily pushing it up or down um so that would you know is kind of typical you you see that a lot you know money moving from one section to the other energy to tech or vice versa yeah although in in the for what it's worth i challenge all of our listeners out there to um if if you were to do a lot of your research and exclude the tech sector that mm-hmm. might be relevant right now tech it has might. become a huge component of most indexes uh, it's probably more than 50% of the S&P 500 is tech weighting. And, and it may not be called tech, but you know, like Google's considered a communication stock. Right. It's tech firm, right? right? Yeah, it might be communications the way we want to define it for sector purposes, but it's tech company. And so I think you need to be careful about uh, how we label some of these things. Because if you were to take the super megacorp that is heavily tech leveraged, out of the equation and then look at it, you, I think you see more of this rolling bear market. Like we saw utilities really correct and then they got almost cheap on paper. Right. Right. And so that to us was a sign that maybe we need to start investigating utilities. But we, and we saw the same thing. Consumer staples looked attractive price wise. I'm trying to think of a sector that didn't like, like real estate still didn't look done. It's, it's cheap right now, but it still doesn't look good with the right. economic backdrop. Uh, what's a sector? Like healthcare for a while looked overpriced, mm-hmm. and then it started to look kind of just flat. It was sort of like fairly valued, and and we couldn't figure out if there was a catalyst to make money move in that direction. And financials are in a little bit of a weird spot right now. Financial, what? yeah, they are right. What do you, what do you do with a scenario where the financials have um, higher rates tend to be better margins for them, right? But economic headwinds are bad for them, right? Right, so it's a well, you know, which bet are you going to make? It's like, well, you got a, a good thing being balanced by a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't figure out what gets them to move. Uh, well, you know, what do we do in that case? By the way, like, like, what does our investment committee do? We punt. Yeah. <laughs> right, like, oh, you know what? It's too hard to call financials. Yeah. Maybe we'll go look at a sector that's easier to call. <laughs> You know, there have been times financials look pretty attractive, but there have been times where like I really yeah. can't tell right now. So why? Why f- wade into the pool when you can't see to the bottom? Right. Uh, but anyway. So do you have a favorite sector from here? I'm still leaning into utilities for through the rest of the year. Okay. Personally, awesome. think. Awesome. It's not advice. Yeah, okay. exactly. Not advice. But it does give me this opportunity to say, I want to quiz a little bit about why. Mm-hmm. But we got to take our last evil corporate profit break first so with that i hear the music so we're gonna check out for a moment and i want you guys to stick around because when we come back justin's gonna explain a little bit more about okay what makes utilities interesting not a recommendation just understanding the thought process that and more when we're back this is dave littlejohn and justin brugman we got true wealth on news radio 93.9 fm 1240 kqen Hey gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Show, where I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn, joined today in studio by Justin Bruggeman. Justin, uh, this is totally relevant. I'm looking at the 2023 and 4 weather forecast 
from the Farmer's Almanac webpage that says, Winter Wonderland with most of the Midwest cold snowy. And this doesn't surprise us as much. Well, this surprised me a little. The Pacific Northwest cold dry. California cool wet, Texas mild wet, and um, you know through sort of Florida and the lower uh, sort of the SEC schools, right? Um, the, <laughs> the the mild wet area, and then in the Northeast mild but snowy. But it's it's really interesting. A Dry, cold, cold snowy. It looks like a a colder winter by their generic forecast. And if you're wondering why in the heck is Dave talking about weather, Justin, I want to ask you before the break. You mentioned that you're interested in, not as a recommendation for our listeners. Not as a recommendation. But you're interested in the utility sector. Talk to me yes. a little bit about that. A little bit of is, is just as compared to the market they are on sale. Um, and two is they've already established all their price hikes. What do you mean? In utilities like power because they can only increase usually by a certain amount. Yeah. Well, and they have to apply for it, right? Because yeah, these are government sanction monopolies essentially so they, they have to apply for rate hikes get them approved and then right. push them through and then as you know you know coming into the winter months you know people are heating their houses and things like that um so it's just to me an attractive market through the winter kind of season and it's on sale right now comparatively yeah it's what's wild is um electric if if you're not using electricity for heat maybe less yeah. of an issue uh, but you see fuel prices go up. Mm-hmm. But if you've got, I think utilities are fascinating when you look at the pricing, you look at the relative dividend, and you yeah. look at the fact that they've already got their price hikes in, and a lot of the underlying commodity prices are projected to potentially start to peak and decline. Right. right? So if the economy is going to shrink, oil prices probably go down. So does the, does it cost less to manufacture energy? Right. And if so, but you could charge more, do your margins start to look better? Yeah. There's probably Maybe. more to this because uh, about a year and a half ago, utilities had a pretty strong run, mm-hmm. and that was before price hikes had been, yeah, um, before they'd actually been issued to customers. Right, we're seeing a lot of inflation, but rates started going up uh, allegedly or presumably because folks, uh, analysts understood that these price hikes had been approved and they knew when they were going to take place. So we saw for a lot of uh, folks sort of like a March 2022 time horizon, or maybe it was 23, I think it was March of 23 that was projected to have these rate hikes occur. Because a lot of people saw their utility bills really jump this yeah. year. And that's when those rates started hitting for a lot of people in the Pacific Northwest. Well, the prices were swooning six months before that mm-hmm. when they'd been approved, but they just hadn't been implemented yet. So interesting to, to see that whole cycle, well, first utilities swell, then they you know, now they look like they're troughing, and uh, they're oftentimes a conservative play. Yeah, right. Uh, but th- so so we'll see if there's a flight to safety. Um, therein lies the question, right? What does a flight to safety look like today, with bond yields where they are, and with stocks where they are, and valuations where they are? What what might that look like? I, I'm not again. We can't predict the future here, and don't hold us to this. But let's just academically. It's an interesting question. Like, how does one manage risk today? Yeah, and I mean now it's even with regards to bonds, they're finally attractive, right? And they haven't been for 
years. Yeah, I use that term. There's some meat on the bone for the first right. time in a long time. There's actual yield in bonds. Mm-hmm. So the question is, are they backed by, so like corporate bonds, right. are those credit ratings reasonable? Yeah. Right. Can, can those companies actually service their debt? Right. So, uh, you know, I, I hope so. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to make a call on individual positions right now by any stretch, but that's also not where our core strength as an organization is. We work with others that do uh, credit rating of bonds, so mm-hmm. uh, so we have not chosen to try to become experts in that. There's just too many things to try to be an expert in everything. Right. But yeah, I want to. I'd, I'd hope to that we'd have as a as a percentage, not a high default rate in the bond yeah. market. Uh, but I have read. I, I'm an anecdotally confirmed all this but things like starting to see um vehicle repossessions go up we're starting to see um some uh, you know consumer credit debt at record highs yeah student loans at record highs mm-hmm. we're now seeing people having to pay student loans and people again. yeah they just turned that back on yeah so this month i think yeah so it would not surprise me if those all became economic headwinds mm-hmm. because uh, a lot of folks operate their life on whether or not they can afford the payments. Right. And I will tell you that, uh, I mean, I can say I don't think that's good, right? I'm allowed to say that as a planner. Yeah. Like, that's not a good way to run your life. No, it is not. Uh, but it's a normal way. Like, normal meaning typical. We see it a lot. Mm. Just because it's normal doesn't mean it's right. But right. it just means that you can look at that behavior on a broad sample and say, okay, I can expect this to happen a lot. Yeah. And now that prices are starting to go up and variable rates are going up and people with credit card debt, it starts to cost more and their student loans are turned back on. The squeeze is on. Yeah. And I think they're starting to feel it. Yeah. And that and may be all part of why unemployment hasn't really tanked is that the job market, people are, you know, they're getting jobs. Yeah. So I don't, but I don't know. Right. I just don't know. Because it's still weird that you go to restaurants and it feels like there's just, you can't find people to work. Yeah, and it, it's yeah, it still just doesn't feel right. It still feels like we're in a tough spot. Well, it may be where we live. That yeah. may be part of it because uh, you know, in rural Oregon, tends to be economically behind in terms of recovery. But I'll just tell you what it feels like to me. It feels like we're being told everything's okay, but what I hear versus what I see aren't the same. Right. Right. It doesn't feel like everything's okay. Everything in the grocery store and the gas pump's expensive. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like it's okay. It feels like it's really expensive. And, and you know, I think we earn more than the average wage earner right. in this country. If it's expensive to me, what's it feel like to everybody else? Right. So I think it's expensive. And it's really hard for you for everybody to just say, well, it's okay. Now, is it okay in the scheme of like, hey, we all live under relatively high comfort standards historically yeah and comparatively right and you know and we've got you know it may it may be clumsy frustrating or expensive but we do have medical access right Right. you know we're not losing a lot of women in childbirth and stuff like that anymore it's like it's great that we have modern modern medicine and temperature control and internet and like we have a ton of things to be thankful for so don't get me wrong it's just really interesting to have everybody say like no everything's fine everything's fine I i don't think everything's fine either no. I think we have a lot of things to be thankful for, but I don't think everything's fine. Yeah. So, um, 
anyway, as we as we get kind of to the end here, um, let, let's use this as just a simple opportunity. For those people that are out there listening right now and they're trying to assess whether or not they have the right um, approach to risk management in their investments and so forth, what would you suggest to them? Well, they could always give us a call. All right. It's a shameless plug. You nailed that one. Uh, it's 541-375-0898. Yep. I actually remembered our phone number. That's great. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. We or, don't call it as often as you'd think. Yeah. <laughs> or email us at info at littlejohnfs.com. Yeah. And uh, here's the uh, the important thing on this one. You guys have probably heard me talk about Justin a lot. Uh Justin is, first of all, just, you know, he's a fantastic analyst. He's a great trader and really good thinker about stuff. Uh, he chuckles when I drag thinker. him on air. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's not even that. If you watch, uh, everything Justin does is at hyperspeed. He moves the mouse on his screen faster than anybody I know. He's super fast. But his, he's a very methodical thinker about stuff. So I make him come on the uh, show and, you know, be Johnny on the spot. He's like, oh. It's God, always, now I owe him. It's always a good time. <laughs> well, look, that's the music. We're out of time for now. If you could use additional help uh, with your investment strategy or just a second opinion, don't hesitate to give us a call, 541-375-0898. Uh, and also, grab that email at info at littlejohnfs.com. Grab the podcast. And we hope to see you again soon. But until then, we got to run. So I'm out of here. I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Justin Bergman. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.